Hello, and welcome to the Theological Family Ministry Podcast, a podcast for parents as well as children and youth ministry leaders. We are dedicated to showing how theological study and biblical application relate to the discipleship of children and youth. As always, we're hosted by Pastor Ben Palaz, the pastor of family and children's discipleship at Curtis Baptist Church in Augusta, Georgia, and Tony Trussoni, the family and student pastor at Faith Family Church in Finksburg, Maryland. Good morning, Ben. How are you doing today? Doing pretty well. Uh, getting geared up for vacation Bible school, so starting to feel the crunch of that, but thankfully, good shape. My, my intern has really helped me a lot this year, so uh, shout out to Hannah for you know, appreciation for all that she's done. So how about you? I'm doing well. So, By the way, I do want to say, uh, though I have not met her, I am thankful that uh, she's done some of the work editing the podcast this year, so that's been a huge help. Yes, she has. So once again, thank Hannah has been a, a big help in many, many categories. She's a go-getter. Praise the Lord. So yeah, that uh, I'm gearing up for a vacation, uh, spending some more time with the kids than even normal. And uh, with kids being mentioned, uh, I want to ask, do you think that uh, most uh, parents are happier than non-parents? Hmm. Ah, man, I don't know that I have. Uh, I know that I, I did read about seven, eight years ago um, that parents of younger children, in particular, were uh, regarded as some of the angriest in society, um, based on some research. So <laughs> I don't know. That's that's this one one thing there. Um, I think that a lot of parents are happy not happy all the time yes like the song says you know. <laughs> yeah so there was a uh, a report from washington post uh that washington post tracked that i was reading in preparation from this and it said that in the united states at least parents are on average 12 percent less happy than non-parents that's referring to parents with children or teens in the home uh that marsig significantly in that sense less happy having kids uh so i assume this means you know nobody everyone should just stop having kids now right (laughs) there you go (laughs) sounds like a recipe for success well you know i think sometimes that's the way it's treated in certain sources uh and, and that we're going to be talking some about this topic today. We're going to be talking about the value of kids, uh, even if they don't necessarily make you happier. I don't know if they do or not. I think some of the uh, studies are looking for definitions of happiness that aren't really Christian definitions of happiness. But uh, nonetheless, I think we need to understand whether kids have any inherent value, whether Christians are pro-kids is what we're calling this podcast. Uh, it you know, and I want to ask, uh, you, you've seen less movies and TV than I have. Uh, you're not the film buff that I've been. Uh, but uh, if movies and TV shows were reality, when would people have kids and how many kids would they have? Uh, maybe never. Um, or when they had lots of cash. And if, if they do have the kids, you know, maybe one or two kids. You know, maybe a boy and a girl or maybe just one. That, that's my take on it. <clears throat> How about it? What do you think? I mean, you, I, I have watched TV and movies. Yeah. Not, not in the same way. I, I think definitely you're right. Actually, um, many of our listeners have probably seen the movie Avengers, uh, Infinity War, and uh, now Endgame. And uh, I, I thought something was fascinating. 
<laughs> yeah, something was fascinating with me. If you, uh, you have you seen Infinity War yet? I have not. Okay, I've heard heard some things. So I'm not gonna worry about spoiling that. I'm gonna go ahead and spoil it for you because it's been like a year and a half, my friend. Uh, <laughs> the, the, <laughs> in the very end of the movie, uh, that uh, this bad guy Thanos, he snaps. He feels that basically overpopulation in the universe is a problem, and he snaps and he gets rid of half of uh, half of all humans, so that uh, future generations can live in a prosperous world, basically. And I was thinking. In, in the Marvel Universe, though, Thanos' job is done for him by parents because I, I think literally in all of all the Marvel characters, there's one case of parents having uh, more than one child. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and almost all of the families start uh, like Iron Man has a child in the most recent movie. And again, I think it's late enough spoilers, I don't worry. Uh, but he has a child, one child when he's like in his 50s. Uh, and this is portrayed yeah. like this is normal <laughs> reality. And by that stretch, realistically, all Thanos needs to do is just wait about 30 years and then we've cut human population in half, you know? Um, <laughs> that uh, I can, you know, I can, I honestly can't think of a popular TV character or movie hero who intentionally started having kids in their 20s. Uh, you know, I can't think of one, one real case of that. I can think of cases in film and TV, you know, uh, that somebody made a mistake and ended up having a kid uh, at a younger age. But the reality is that most Americans, most people in the world have their first child while they're still in their 20s, uh, even though it never happens <laughs> intentionally in film and television. Mm. So it's a good point. But why do you think uh, people are waiting longer to have kids and having less of them and following Hollywood's example on that, actually? I think there's a lot. Um, some of it's financial. I mean, so maybe there's an element of responsibility. People have lots of student debt. Um, they realize that there is a financial responsibility when you add on another person. Um, some people, you know, people are waiting to, to get married. And so the, the average age for men and women is, is rising. Um, and so – and once people do get married, maybe they're waiting longer than maybe people did before that to have a child after the point of marriage. Um, and so I thought that there's also people that just don't want to cramp their style. You know, They can't travel and uh, go out to cool, trendy restaurants and you know this kind of thing. And so it just is, is getting in the way of the, the kind of lifestyle they want to live. Yeah. I, I think you're very right on that. And I, I especially agree with the last one. I think all of those points are true. Uh, I think we as a society really stress individual happiness and fulfillment really more than any society ever has. So even like, for example, I mean, in that study, a lot of people have seen the studies. Well, people, people aren't as happy having kids, and that means you shouldn't have kids because it's all about your own happiness. Uh, and we... <laughs> And we see younger years as it as the time to live it up, as a time to have fun, the time to go on your big vacations and stuff like that. And and uh, you settle down and have kids when you don't have the energy to do that stuff anymore. You know, energy that right. biologically, literally biologically, is created in us for the sake of being with children. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then, it's hard to backpack across Europe. You know, and you got. <laughs> 
Got uh-huh. Junior in tow. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's also hard to wrestle with Junior when you're 60 and have your first child. <laughs> but, uh, oh, my hip. <laughs> Uh, but we all, I think we see it as having our um, we see raising kids as having our family that finally getting the point of where we establish our own family rather than an act of raising a next generation. Uh, and I think it's both and but I think having children has always been about raising a next generation rather than just having your own little entity in and of itself. Mm. Well, you're all, I mean, talking about the, the individual happiness and fulfillment stuff. I mean, we're just, you know, driving way off the, the course into the ditch uh, on that in our society. Yes, we are. Now, did the culture in which the New Testament was written always value children, Ben? No, um, they didn't. Um, I mean, the children didn't provide an immediate economic value. Um Done not not a ton of reading on this, just very little. But uh, I mean, I, from my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, Jews valued them maybe more than the Roman society, Greco-Roman society did. But even there, I mean, you know, you see Jesus welcoming children and touching them, blessing them, and the disciples uh, trying to you know control access to Jesus or whatever. And there, even in in the Jewish culture, the children are are not valued and esteemed, um, at least as God does. And so it's not that the Jews just, you know, were worlds apart, but they were maybe a little ahead of of the way the the Greeks did it, so. Yeah, that's right. Uh, So, you know, when I've done research on this, one fascinating thing is uh, uh, early Christians were accused of cannibalism of children, and the reason why actually was something that revealed uh, problems in the Roman world, and that is that uh, they would take in these children, and, and it was assumed mm-hmm. at times, it was sometimes it was claimed, some sources say that's actually a myth that anyone really claimed that, uh, but uh, either way, that they were taking in children that were abandoned, because it was a pretty common practice. If you don't want to mm-hmm. get you just abandon it. No big deal, especially some somebody who has a, a, some kind of physical disability or something like that, you just abandon a child, and it's not even really that big and not really that much of a crime in the first century, especially for certain classes. Uh, but uh, but even beyond that, I mean, it's widely understood that in the first century, kids were, in the Roman world at least, kids were seen as semi-human and even below slaves. So uh, that a lot of times wealthy households would have slaves that uh, would be dedicated to the rearing up of children, uh, that they would uh, be almost like a, um, a teacher within the home, uh, but responsible for the raising up of the, uh, of the child. And these slaves that worked with children would beat children and stuff like that. They would be notoriously harsh, but it was allowed because, you know, a child is below even a slave in that society. Uh, children are basically subhuman, and they're working towards becoming human rather than being fully human in themselves already. Well, I've read as well that there were some people who, um, you know, their moral ethical standards were not very high, and so they would also take in these abandoned children, um, but they would prostitute them, turn them into beggars, uh, and sometimes they would even maim them to make them more effective as a beggar, to, you know, really tug at people's heartstrings, I guess, and so, um, 
that is, you know, just very disturbing. Yeah. Um, or they turn them into gladiators, things like that. Horrible. Um, yeah. Now, uh, how does this anti-children mentality relate to the topic of abortion, Ben? I think it relates a lot. I mean, you made a comment just a few minutes ago about the seeking the personal happiness. And, you know, so this individual's right to be happy and make choices for themselves, um, it's almost like this godlike uh, mentality that this woman has the right to decide what happens with her body no matter that it may affect another little woman's body, you know, inside her own. Um, and so if she doesn't want that person, she should not have her rights encroached on. You know, if, if we don't, if the woman doesn't want the child, then she should not be burdened with that child. Um, and so, you know, I live in Georgia with all the, you know, stuff going on with that law that was passed and Alyssa Milano and her sex strike and, you know, all of this. Um, that is so weird. <laughs> Um, maybe not purity super well rings. thought out, but, you know. <laughs> purity rings. Right? <laughs> yeah, there you go. Good Babylon V article. <laughs> yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Um, you know, I think what's interesting with uh, this abortion issue and the value of children is as much as uh, sometimes it's portrayed as the pro-life uh, versus pro-choice issue is a question of whether or not uh, it's human, whether or not the unborn child is human. But I think right now, I think most advocates for pro-choice uh, and, and most speakers on behalf of Planned Parenthood, for example, wouldn't really argue against that idea. I mean, they wouldn't argue that there comes a point after the child is born that they become more human. Uh, but instead, I think it's more it's more a statement that adult convenience is more important than guarding the vulnerable. Uh, and so effectively, uh, they make a statement that the quality of life is greater than essence of life, uh, which I think is wrong and dangerous, uh, and especially when you apply that to looking at children. Uh, and one interesting thing, I was um, reading something online, and an actress, a um, an actress in a show I, I happen to watch, was uh, tweeted something about how uh, wonderful it was that she had an abortion when she was young because she wasn't she was in her twenties, and because she was in her twenties, even though most people have kids in their twenties, she just she wasn't ready for children, and she wouldn't want to have to bring a child, have to put up with a parent who's not ready for children. And I think this is this is insane. And our culture, a culture, should never embrace an attitude that we that we're not ready. It's not time for children. Time for children is <laughs> when God gives uh, in that way. But also, I mean, our our duty is not to live for self. Our duty is to create a better world for the next generations and to pass on to the next generations. I mean, we cannot have this nihilistic sense of self that I think is expressed in a pro-choice movement. Uh, but yeah, I think it, a woman's right in the pro-choice movement outweighs a woman and man's responsibility, uh, which is, again, to protect and to care for those who are vulnerable, which are children in the womb. Yeah, absolutely. So, now, does the Bible portray children as a real nuisance, or does it, and does it even dis uh, display them as a distraction from a lively life? No, children are portrayed as a blessing from the Lord. Now, I mean, you look through Genesis and you see uh, a number of women 
who are barren, at least for a time. And you see that as the outworking of God's plan. It's clear God's the one who's given Sarah a child. He's given Rebecca, um, Rachel. I mean, he he intervenes. Um, and you just see this pattern emerge. And some of them is just cultural stuff that's going on. But uh, women, you think of Hannah as well, Samuel's mother. And there's this great shame associated with not having a child and, and carrying on the family and, and receiving the blessings of the Lord and having a place in, you know, to receive his promises. Um, some of that may have been cultural, but, um, you know, you think in the Psalms as well, that the children are a blessing from the mm-hmm. Lord, you know, the one who's got his quiver full of them, um, there's joy. And so overall, yes, children are portrayed, um, positively as something to be received with Thanksgiving, but also blessings that, uh, that need to be taught and nurtured from the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you know, it recognizes the sin that foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. It doesn't come out and say, and so therefore you're going to have a headache sometimes because of your child. Um, but it is implicit that because the foolishness is mounted up in the heart of the child and the need to use the rod to drive the foolishness far from him and these kinds of things, um, that there is going to be, uh, and, and even in the curse, Genesis 3, um, wrapped up in, in childbearing, um, that there is going to be pain associated with children. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, I think. You hit the nail on the head, especially that quote of, of Psalm 127, 3 through 5. I think it's so definitive the answer, answers. I mean, I will say uh, in asking, does the Bible portray them as a nuisance or distraction? I think in one small sense it might, uh, but, you know, in a context you have to really understand. So Apostle Paul does refer to, he encourages some people not to marry. And I think... Uh, I interpret that as referring to a specific situation where persecution was coming and it was harder for the gospel witness to basically have kids because in the first century world, especially if you're, and even today to some degree, if you're pro-life, that that means you have at least a possibility of having kids. Uh, And having kids hinders the ability to share the gospel and go on missions work sometimes. It just does. Uh, I think in that context, maybe it sees it as a slight limitation sometimes in certain situations on ministry. But apart from this, I mean, it very much sees, I mean, them as a blessing, as a heritage uh, that from the very Lord himself. And I think it's fascinating because Christianity, really, the Bible stands out from almost every other religion for this, uh, for this strong statement of valuation of children and the way that really I can think, can't think of any other a religion that's at least not based upon the Bible uh, in some way, shape, or form that, that values children in this kind of way. Yeah, I mean, the Bible is butting up against uh, cultural assumptions all over the place, you know, of different kinds of cultures. And how does Jesus especially show us a shocking valuation of inconvenient children? Well... Jesus welcomes them, he touches them, he um, blesses them, he humbles himself to take up time with them. Um, when people are bringing their children for Jesus to touch mm-hmm. them, even they're wanting some sort of blessing, um, they may not fully get who he is, but they, they want their children. So this shows some, they value their children in some way, and they want Jesus to bless them. I mean, maybe they sort of akin to TV preachers and, you know, come touch the baby or touch the TV screen and heal you. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Um, all their motives. It doesn't tell us, but Jesus um, is very humble because 
they don't they don't uh, offer him anything. You know, it's not like um, he stands to gain and from them. And so he just puts himself low. And I mean, you're talking about someone who, in his underwear, washed his disciples' feet, and he's you know washing dirt and animal yeah. dung and things like this off their feet. Um, and so you just see another example of Jesus's humility. You know, God is a humble God, even though He's glorious and exalted. And so um, it is remarkable to see the Lord of the Universe sitting there with children on His lap, and you know, just I guess hanging out in a way um, when you know there's important thing, important teaching to do, and and healing and things like this. And he's sitting there, just you know, akin to playing with a kid on the on the rug or something. Yeah. So I mean, that Jesus interacting with children, the welcoming children. I mean, that's just such a important passage, and there's so many keys in that that we ignore. And uh, I think the one I often refer to is Mark ten thirteen through fifteen, in that. And what really stands out to me, in addition to some of the things that you pointed out was is that the disciples actually rebuked. They tried to rebuke Jesus. Uh, they <laughs> tried to rebuke as well as the parents uh, for, and even the children potentially for all of this happening, for Jesus welcoming uh, the children in. Uh, and one of the reasons why, I mean, was because the uh, leaders at that time really didn't lower themselves in the way that Jesus did. It was seen as beneath a leader. I mean, if a king, a Roman, uh, that emperor is never going to lower himself to be with these dirty, rotten, scoundrel kids that literally might be dirty, you know, kids. <laughs> uh, but and he and Jesus rebukes back. He rebukes the disciples. Their their attitude uh, of not valuing kids. He rebuked this idea that kids are a distraction, that kids are a distraction to ministry, which is such a statement because I don't think he's trying to argue with the mentality that kids are get in the way and that kids are you know in in senses that kids are loud and kids you know that kids don't make things go as plans. But he's saying nope. That's fine. That's how God's created them. That's how my father has created them. And we must value them. Um, and I think even what, what's to me really extreme is because, again, this was basically a congregational gathering to, to listen to Jesus and to be healed by Jesus. This religious experience that the disciples thought was reserved just for adults. Uh, and he welcomed these children to the same religious experience that he welcomed adults to, which I think is such an outstanding, powerful statement. Mm. Yeah, those are really good points. I mean, you think of it just the the foolishness of the, the disciples. And, you know, Peter, a few chapters before in Mark, uh, rebuked Jesus for talking about going to the cross. He's like, no, Lord, never. And, you know, Jesus, get behind me, Satan. Um and so uh, it, it is quite the contrast. And just in that section in Mark, there's a couple of places where Jesus is dealing with children. He talks about receiving the, the kingdom as a child. And um, it's just very clear that he is value. And, and also in that context, he deals with the question of divorce and the treatment of women. And so Jesus is uh, making it a point, and Mark is highlighting it, to the, the Lord values those who are who are not valued as much by society, who are weaker, yeah. who, you know, don't, in their eyes, have as much to offer. Yeah, absolutely. How is, or at least was, raising up children obedience to God's universal human decree? 
Well, in Genesis 1, God makes the couple, and then the first recorded words there in chapter 1 um, are be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And so you've got people who have not fallen into sin yet. They've got perfect love for God, perfect love for each other. And so they're in right relationship to him. Um, so the implication is that they're going to make worshipers, more people who are in right relationship to him. They're going to, to teach them, you know, the one thing, stay away from the tree, but hey, let's let's fill the earth. Let's take dominion over it, rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, these kinds of things. And so that was just, that was the pattern for humanity um, that God would fill because, you know, the, the garden of Eden was cultivated, but it, it, you see that they were supposed to expand the borders of the garden, so to speak, and, and uh, cultivate that, bring it under dominion. Yeah. And so um, we don't know how long it took, but that they rebelled against that and uh, rebelled against the Lord himself. So um, but that's where it comes from. I mean, that, that's God's intention for the family. That's great. So. So it's interesting. Uh, I I phrase that question like when I said at least was because I actually do think exegetically, like uh, analyzing the text and it's looking at the New Testament. I think the command overtly that you must mu- you must have uh, children. You must have even decently big families, which I think is overtly the command in the Old Testament uh, under the Old Covenant. Uh, I think it is more or less fulfilled and not really held over Christians, I think it was, I mean, to fill the earth. And and the way that, I mean, we have people in most places on the planet Earth. I mean, there are still places that are more or less desolate. uh, But I think in a way, this has been fulfilled. In a way, I mean, this earth has been populated because of God's command. Uh, That doesn't mean that we don't continue the act, but I think that there's no command that all Christians, therefore, must obey uh, in having huge families. Uh, but I do think this does show us that uh, we were made to perpetuate the image of God. That's part of having the image of God is being made to perpetuate that image. Uh, in fact, I think part of the image of God is is actually being a creator, just as God is a creator. And being fully human then, being truly a fulfillment of what humanity is meant to be, is participating in this creating, through creating a next generation. Uh, so in that, I think having kids is very much God-glorifying. It's worship to have kids. It's a really good point. How is having children, though, one of the best ways Christians have actually fulfilled the Great Commission? Well, even and if, you know what you were talking about brings out the, the usefulness of biblical theology, seeing you know what related to different covenants and this kind of thing. But by having children themselves— and sharing the gospel with those children, calling them to to Christ, to repent and believe, um, and then living out the implications in their lives, um, teaching them to observe what Jesus commanded, and doing that together as a family, involving them in the life of the church. And then they repeat the process, and then they repeat the process. Because um, you mentioned earlier that there may be some minor ways that uh, having children would cramp your ability to reach out to you know other people. And yes, I agree that uh, particularly when your children are small and just they are needy and uh, you think of just mealtime with small children, um, that can be a stressful time. And so, you know, you invite the neighbors over and they get hit with food or something. you know, I mean, it can just be even if the child is is not causing problems like that, but just trying to have a conversation with someone. But you have these 
unbelievers born into your family that you have the opportunity to um, pass on Christ to in his ways day in and day out um, that you don't have with your neighbors or coworkers or something like that. And so, um, I mean, that in, in large part, the church has been perpetuated that way. Yeah, absolutely. By far that way, really. Uh, and we can see it as a bad thing, but praise God. I mean, we have so many more gospel opportunities um, of sharing the gospel with our kids than we would have for anybody. I mean, even our closest friends. Uh, we mm-hmm. have so many great evangelism opportunities that we wouldn't have if we didn't have kids. Uh, but further, I think we all they also perpetuate the Great Commission by, I mean, gospel-centered parents uh, that disciple their own kids oftentimes by God's grace can lead to gospel-centered kids that go out and share the gospel. Uh, we equip them through our discipleship, through our raising up and even having children to, to raise up people, young people that will reach the next generations for Jesus. Uh, you know, there would, there would hardly be effective missionaries if there weren't a great deal of godly Christian parents that were behind those effective missionaries and discipling them as they were raised up. Absolutely. So does this mean though, that people are incomplete without kids that they're just kind of partially human if they don't have kids? <laughs> um, no, no. I mean, Genesis one, in fact, they're each the, the man and the woman were both made in God's image. I mean, the, the text is clear about that. You made them male and female. And so um, even in marriage itself, that, that's not like it completed them. Um, it, it is a unique relationship, and it does mirror things with the Lord. Um, but that doesn't mean that someone is lacking full personhood uh, or, or the image of God in some way if they're not married or if they don't have children. And so while that is ordinarily what God intends for people, um, it's not in every case, and you know you were mentioning uh, about Paul's comments in First Corinthians seven. Um, so the implication would be, you know, if you don't marry, you also would not be having children. Um, and so that that was there are some who are given that gift for following the Lord, for building up His kingdom, yeah. and um, that that is another way of worshiping the Lord. It's yeah. probably it's the exception, though. I mean, I would say. Um, he intends for more people to marry and have them, but you're not yeah. somehow less of a person. Yeah. So it sounds like an odd question, but I think sometimes there can be that mentality. And I think in American churches where actually higher rates of people have children than the general population, there can be a perception that effectively you're incomplete. There's something wrong with you if you don't have kids. But, I mean, you mentioned Adam and Eve didn't have kids at first, and they were God-glorifying in their state originally. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. But uh, Jesus, likewise, obviously, Jesus was single. Jesus, uh, contrary to what uh, the Da Vinci Code might teach you, <laughs> Jesus did not get married. <laughs> Jesus did not have children. Uh, he was single, and he was, not only was he fully God, he was fully man. He was complete man. He was the the essence of total manhood. Not like, you know, not like total manhood, like a ridiculous commercial, but total humanity. Uh, that And again, I think it needs to be stated, I don't think that under the New Covenant that these commands to have children are necessarily binding upon Christians. Uh, but I do think it needs to be stated, I very much think not having kids uh, for your own enjoyment is selfish. 
Uh, I think it's good and and wise for some people to not have children uh, for the sake of kingdom living. And I can think of as a pastor who has kids, who has a wife, there are ways in which I'm limited. I know of a pastor who's single actually in England that I've listened to a lot of his, and he mentions ways in which he can do ministry that I just simply can't, uh, that I don't have the opportunities to because I'm responsible to discipling my little ones. Uh, but uh, And I think for him, that person, as well as some other people, not having kids so that they can better reach people and serve God's kingdom is is wonderful and fine and God-glorifying, if that's legitimately your reason. But I think for the majority of people that intentionally don't have kids, uh, I think it tends to be for the sake of building their own kingdom rather than for the sake of building God's kingdom. And I think that is selfish. And I would probably even go so far as saying that that's actually sinful. I think you're right. Um, I think it, often the cases will just, ah, oh, man, you know, kids are so inconvenient, whatever. Um, and so it is about building their own kingdom. Um, you know, there's less fine. I can't go to the trendy restaurants I like. I got to oh, yeah. take care of the kid. I can't play, you know golf or disc golf or whatever it is you you know want to go do um yeah i mean like the children they do inconvenience you you can't just go and do as you please or you ought not to i mean i I can i hear of people who do but your your responsibilities do change and so your schedule should as well yes that's right so and how how did those without their own biological kids or those you know or even adopted kids value children? <clears throat> well, just by not looking down on them or viewing them as inherently inconvenient, um, going out of their way to love them. I mean, Jesus received children. This is a single man um, without his own children receiving kids with humility and love and enthusiasm. I mean, if if he did it. Why not you? Um, and so that doesn't. I mean, you. There could be practical ways of if people, whether it's children in, in your extended family, your church family, saying, "Hey, you know, I'll watch the kids for you," or you know, just investing in their lives um, and not viewing them just as, "Oh, yeah, the, the kids. Um, they're just <laughs> they're there." Yeah, absolutely. So I want a little bit spin in a corny way a statement uh, uh, that's famous. Former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, she wrote a book on the term, It Takes a Village to Raise a Child. And uh, it, I'm not sure I agree with all of her premises in it. Uh, but, I mean, she basically states that uh, the— It takes a government to raise yeah, a child. It takes a government. But it takes society. I mean, it can't just be one family uh, in isolation raising a child. And I think she's right, kind of, because I think it takes a church to raise a child. I think it takes a community of believers to raise a child. Uh, and so I can think of a, um, uh, there was, a, uh, at a previous church I was at, uh, there was a, uh, the retired woman, uh, who did not have any children, uh, and, uh, didn't have any children of her own and kind of became a Christian a little bit later in life than some other people did. Uh, and, uh, this woman really, uh, that was dedicated to serving, uh, children of that church, uh, in really incredible ways. Uh, and, uh, and she, you know, she was sometimes felt like, oh, she wasn't really up to the task, but she really glorified God and helped parents by loving on kids in incredible ways. And, you know, I think of, um, 
actually a loved one of mine uh, went out of the way on, on a Mother's Day a celebration uh, to actually really celebrate this woman for making an impact, uh, for discipling and impacting the next generation, and kind of in a way acting really as a mother, following that real motherhood instinct, even though she didn't have her own biological children. And God is so glorified uh, in that. Uh, and you know, ultimately, if Jesus served without kids, Jesus served kids without having his own kids. And if that's the case, so should you if you don't have your own kids. Having Not having your own kids is never an excuse not to serve children. And this attitude sometimes that, uh, that children's ministry is for those who have their own kids. It's for those who have their own kids to kind of carry the load between each other. It's just unbiblical and unchristian, I think. I know. I mean, when I got married, I think I viewed children somewhat biblically, but I had to come to grips with the Lord showed me that I was viewing children more like the world's way of thinking than I I wanted to admit initially. Um, and, you know, I, I think this can often be the case, though not always, but my wife was ready to have children earlier than I was. And, um, you know, I was thinking about finances, think, you know, we were in seminary and we were, uh, things were very tight financially, but it didn't all come down to that. And so, um, I mean, I, I did have to repent of ways that, that I was, had just sort of soaked in the culture's view of kids. Yeah. Uh, do you think this means though, that we should each have 50 kids? Do you think that, uh, we need to put our wives through, uh, bearing 50 kids each? Anyway, but I think there are other factors to consider. I, I don't think there's this mandate to, have as many children as you are physically able to. Um, and I mean, it comes also the purpose of marriage is every act of, of marital intimacy. Is that intended to produce a child? Well, I, I, while some would argue differently, I don't think so. Um, one thing, just because you can't conceive realistically every time, I mean, if, you know, um, if the woman's an ovulating or, if, you know, post ovulation and, you know, post menopause and that kind of thing. So that that's not the only purpose of, of that within marriage. So, um, I think there's a lot of other factors that go in, but no, I don't think that you have to have just cranking them out like a factory. Yeah. Yeah. I think in most cases, uh, doing the 20 or 50 kids actually is probably unwise. Uh, I'm not going to say all, <laughs> but, uh, I, I would say, I mean, I'm not going to say sin, but I would say unwise in some cases. Uh, but uh, we definitely don't have to have a whole bunch of kids. We definitely don't have to become uh, quiverfuls, as some people call them, among evangelicals. Uh, the, but in, in fact, I think that family planning is very much within biblical reason. I don't think there's anything sinful or unbiblical about family planning uh, that doesn't involve killing a child, of course. Uh, so I think every couple, every family needs to make a decision. Uh, but make a decision for the sake of the glory of God, uh, a decision that seeks to honor and glorify the Lord rather than just a decision that's necessarily what's easy and what's uh, most beneficial for your family now. Uh, but just I, I think sometimes that can mean less, you know. I think sometimes ministry families and those really serving in church, maybe even as an elder or a deacon, can feel that if they had uh, 12 or 15 kids, it's going to limit what they can do uh, for the kingdom in that way, uh, or unless they be an uh, unfit parent. 
Uh, and I think other cases, you know, they might uh, people might feel like it's really glorifying to God for them to have a lot of kids, even though it means they can't do certain things. Yeah, and I mean, there's there's physical issues that can factor in there. Um, you know, with a, a woman's body, I mean, pregnancy does uh, sort of tear down the body over time, and so um, that can be something to you know that that would be unloving. I think um, just to, well, no with just throwing everything else out and say, well, no, God wants us to have kids. And so even though, you know, honey, this is tearing your body down, um, we're just going to keep doing this. Um, I, I think that's just not being, you know, living with according to understanding, you know, with your wife, first <laughs> yeah. Peter three. Um, but that's between, you know, and I guess that's, that's an issue for the wife to reckon with, with the Lord. But, um, yeah, I mean, there's just a whole lot of factors that go into it. And I mean, financial considerations too. I don't think it's a lack of faith. Is you 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 make X amount of dollars, and so you know, I don't know that we can feed ten mouths with this. Yeah. Um, I, I don't. I think that can be loving to those kids and those potential kids that might be coming. Um, it could be loving to other people around you because you're you're less dependent on them. So. Yeah. Well, and I think it is so interesting to think through that because, I mean, in the past societies, oftentimes having a lot of kids was how you fed those mouths inherently uh, because, you know, you put your 12-year-old Johnny to work. You got to work that farm. Uh, now you That's go right. to jail for that. So, <laughs> uh, But uh, what does our society think of large families and uh, how do you think the Bible compares to that? Uh, I think most of the time they're viewed as Fruit Loops. You know, uh, what about the money? How are you going to pay for all those kids? What about the time with them? Um, and so, and I have to be careful. I mean, I know um, a few pretty large families, and you know, some I do wonder, practically speaking, how some of those things work out. But um, you know, that's I think it just depends on the family, but uh, and their circumstances. But yeah, I think by and large society you know thinks they're nuts but the bible affirms it again i mean what was it psalm 127 um, yeah you know, the children are a heritage they're a blessing from the lord fill your quiver and, full of them <laughs> what's that i mean it literally does say i mean the quiverful movement comes from that passage even though i don't agree with it but yeah it fill it blesses the man who fills his quiver with them yeah um and so there is just explicit teaching that they are viewed and it talks about your wife being um you know a fruitful vine children all around the table and it's a sign of god's favor um and so god has given you these image bearers to and, and they can we're going to get into this in a minute but um what we can learn from children and um the benefit that they do bring to us and so the bible does like with so many things um it it pushes up against cultural assumptions and not just um Western ones, you know, it, it's pushing, I mean, the, the call to, to love them, to love wives and to mm-hmm. cherish and nurture, like the, the same word for, um, you know, cherish that I just mentioned, um, it's used for wives and for children in Ephesians 5 and into 6. Yeah. And so just as Christ um, loves and nurtures his church, husbands and fathers do that to these weaker uh, vessels. And so it, it's pushing up, that, that was countercultural for them. Um, so yeah, the Bible has, yeah. <laughs> Bible's just, you know, an equal opportunity offender. It is. Yes. Uh, yeah, I, I think you're so right on that. 
And I actually think that society even goes further than just thinking that they're weird. I think sometimes that there's an attitude increasingly that large families are bad for the world. I mean, it's just not just weird, it's wrong. It's responsible for overpopulation, and you're going to mess up all your kids if you have a huge family. Uh, it's and, contributing to climate change, and what are we going to eat? Oh, exactly. Yeah, and I think sometimes there's somewhat of a Christian attitude along those lines, not necessarily climate change one, uh, but that it's weird and that it's wrong. Uh, and I've known of cases where uh, that even church leaders have actively told people you shouldn't, you, should, you don't need to have that many kids. I mean, that's a problem. Uh, and uh, but you have no right. We have no right to discourage. Uh, from a biblical perspective, we have no right to look down upon or ever discourage those Christians that make the decision to have large families. Uh, in fact, I think we as Christians must come alongside large families. We must encourage and help them. And we also must understand their limitations, you know, uh, that I think sometimes people can be frustrated. You know, the dad of a whole bunch of kids is not going to be serving as much as the dad uh, that uh, the retired dad or the dad of one or two kids. That's okay. We have to understand that. We have to understand that the mom of a whole bunch of kids is going to be tired. And our responsibility as Christians is to bear one another's burdens. And sometimes for the family of big, a lot of kids, even if you don't agree with their approach, come alongside and be an encouragement and a help to them. Yeah. Yeah, you're right, man. That's that's disappointing to hear church leaders telling families, you know, to stop. Now, I suppose I could entertain some ideas where maybe somebody should step in and say, hey, you might want to really think about this. And, you know, that they're it's struggling financially incredibly. Um, and then they're just planning on continuing to have more. Um, maybe that wouldn't be the wisest course of action for them, but um, I'm telling them it's a problem and maybe stretching it. Be beyond being our the future, how does God use children in the now? I think in a number of ways. Um, he can teach us about himself and his love and his care and his justice his love mixed with righteous anger and judgment, you know, all kinds of things. As we are faced with situations, as we care for our children, as we teach them, um, we're forced almost to stop and think about God more and how he cares for us. Uh, I think we learn things about our own selves, um, that we are proud and we are selfish. And we need his grace. We need his wisdom. Um, they can also point out our sin in direct ways that we might not expect or catches us off guard. And you talked recently about taking one of your children out for a date, and you you did directly ask, you know, what's something Daddy needs to work on. Um, but your daughter was quick to point out, "Well, Dad, you need to get off the phone some," you know. <laughs> um, and so, Thanks you know, he reminder. could also use kids to to lead others to Christ. I mean, kids can just be very open. They don't you know, some of the social pressure, they haven't fully embraced that. And so they're just, you know, they're telling people about Jesus. Yeah, that's right. So, and uh, I, I agree so much. They can teach us. And yeah, I was humbled in that time by, and again, I do appreciate the reminder. So, uh, but I also think kids can and often should serve. So we do, um, I mentioned before we do this family service Saturday event, uh, at our church, uh, where it's an opportunity for kids to serve kids that are in need in the community. 
And uh, one thing that was really a great joy, and I think shows how kids can teach, was uh, a, f- a family that came uh, that uh, the, the youngest son uh, really served actively and got excited about it. And uh, he, they went home, and, and he asked their, uh, his father if, he could, if they could support uh, another child uh, through, like, Compassion International type of thing. Uh, we're, f- we're financially supporting a child, and the, and the child, uh, the son, this youngest son, wanted to be part of it and help write the letters and work to support that. And I mean, that is such a great joy. And I remember the father was telling me this, you know, as he was encouraged, but even convicted by it, uh, mm. uh, by his son in that. And I think it's just so awesome to see the heart that kids can and do serve when God calls them to at times. We don't allow opportunities for them sometimes, but I think we should. Uh, in Christ-honoring ways. Uh, so, you know, and I think ultimately we tend to see children as a future in so many different ways. Uh, but we as Christians, we as evangelical Christians, do often stress this mentality, we shouldn't waste your life, don't waste your life, to refer to that great John Piper book. Uh, but don't wait. Say, that sounds like a great book title. Not wasting your life doesn't just refer to uh, that when you're in your 30s, I can refer to when you're six. Uh, we don't know. I mean, our six-year-old child, our 10-year-old child might die uh, anytime. And we don't want them to have wasted their lives. And uh, we want to encourage them to live a life that is God-glorifying, that never has to say, I was going to wait to serve you until a later time. Because kids can serve God in mighty ways. Yeah. And how do children actually make us better? They can make us more compassionate and more humble and more tender. I mean, I've found that being a father has made me cry easier. Mm. Um, my heartstrings get moved at things more often. You know, whether it's just when you see some other situation going on, whereas, you know, I may have been sad or, you know, somewhat moved by it previously, having my own and thinking about someone uh, enduring that. Uh, my heart just I feel uh, I guess a higher level of um, of compassion and you know being gen- like kind of weeping with those who weep um, I think you learn a great deal about faith and dependence through children that that is just um, they bring that to you because you see their dependence on you and they're not bothered by by the fact that they have to ask you for help to open something or, you know, and so you see them being humble and just needing help and being okay with that. Um, But then you, like I've mentioned earlier, you learn about your own need to depend on the Lord. And so ultimately that is a gift. Well, it can be, it can be very challenging and taxing in the moment. Some instance where you don't know what to do or, you know, the child's disobeying or, you know, having a, a fit in public, you know, before you have kids, you're like, my kid's never going to do that. I know what, I know what that kid needs here in the store. That's, you know, pitching a fit in the aisle or something. My kid will never do that. And then you have kids and the Lord shows you, um, your own need to repent and be humble. But, um, I think they do make us better and it, it makes us better followers of Christ as we learn to depend on him as, because they don't come with manuals and, um, it takes great wisdom to know how to handle different situations and eat ch- children within the same family or have different personalities and different motivations and discouragements and this kind of thing. Yeah. So I, I really like what you point out. The only two things I would add is uh, I think they also make us better because they can bring a really God-given joy. You know, mm-hmm. honestly, 
there's been cases even recently where I've seen my children make the decision to uh, do something that serves others and glorifies God uh, without really prompting. And I honestly can think of very, very, very few instances where I've had more joy. Uh, I mean, where my life has been lit up more than seeing that kind of thing. And, and it's just amazing. And it wouldn't have happened if I didn't have kids, if I didn't raise up, mm. try to raise up the next generation. Uh, but also, I mean, and this is in general in society, one of the reasons why people don't uh, have kids until later is because they don't want to be responsible. We should be responsible, and children make us responsible. Either they make us responsible, or they make us un- or they reveal we're unfit parents. Uh, but they should make <laughs> us responsible. They do make you grow up for sure. And, and I think you know, th- looking at the larger picture of problems in society, you know, we've got this whole thing called extended adolescence, which you know is like extending into people's thirties, and um, you can't play video games in mom's basement. Um, as easily as comfortably if you're attending to a child and and responsible for helping to form the child and so um just doesn't doesn't mesh well no not quite so uh, the last question i'll ask what are some of the biggest reasons people avoid children's ministry ben uh and how are those bad theology well, uh, one, I think, is kids, you know, they just don't really understand very much. Um, I should teach older people kind of where it counts more. Or, you know, it's the minor leagues. It's sort of, well, you just give, tell them some Bible stories and, you know, give them some animal crackers and, and some juice or something, and, and they're good. Um, I think other people think, wow, those kids have so much energy. They're so needy. Or, I'm just not very good with kids. Yeah. Um, or a uh, very popular one is, well, I've already done that. When my kids were younger, I, you know, I served with the kids. Sort of, I, I paid my time, uh, served my time. I think that undervalues what God highly values, um, and it, it sort of connects with the parenting or not wanting to have kids. But my personal comfort and convenience is to be sought over God's glory and the good of others. Um, now, with that said, there are legitimate reasons not to do it. I don't know that everybody in the church necessarily needs to volunteer for the children's ministry. Um, and so I'm not condemning everybody or assuming that I know everyone's motives that doesn't work with kids. It's just not that simple. Um, but that can often be um, the some of the, the ideas, the, the mentality, and then the idea behind it. Sort of, well, it's, it's not good for me, um, rather than thinking about who the, the object of, of who we're serving. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think all those things are really the most prevalent uh, things, and almost all of them are so deeply rooted. I mean, the idea that it's not as important as the adult class, so I'm not going to serve there. Sometimes, especially the theologically minded can avoid this, which is really ironic mm-hmm. and unfortunate because it's bad theology. And Jesus got a problem with that, and it's a bad theology of man. It effectively, whether you're trying to or not, you're treating uh, children as lesser humans uh, when the Bible so clearly stands against that mentality and biblical theology does as well. Um, but I think also then there's, I, I like you brought up, I don't have patience for the littles. I don't have time. I can't, that's not my game having patience for that. And 
I think there's a little more validity in this, but actually I think, and theologically speaking, that's your sin nature. That's your sin problem. <laughs> it's not your personality. And to some degree, if you feel that way, deal with it and grow because that's what's good for you, uh, if that's how you feel. Uh, you need maybe children's ministry to grow you and shape you because you've got a sin struggle rather than just a personality difference. Um, and then last one and I've heard, unfortunately, is that uh, children's ministry is really woman's work on top of the mm. whole, you know, mm. it's, it's your time. It's This is for women. And I know of men that treat uh, even watching their own kids as babysitting. Uh, but God gave these commands, the disciple children, to men. Uh, and the biblical understanding, the right theological understanding of manhood and spiritual leadership in the house is one that's willing to dig down and crawl on the floor with some kiddos. You, you're absolutely right. And I don't even think about that. But, yeah, there can be the notion that, that dealing with the kids is, whether in the home or church or wherever else, that that's what women do. Um you know, I do man stuff like fix things or hunt or whatever it is. Um, but yeah, I mean, you got Jesus, you got the Lord of the universe. Who's clear? I mean, he was a man. Jesus was not a sissy. You know, sitting there like patent, you know, had the kids on his knee or whatever, bouncing them. I mean, I don't know exactly what it looked like, but um, yeah, that, that it really does. Uh, I think it's an affront to God when we have that mentality. That's right. So. Well, I think this is a good conversation, uh, and I hope that the listeners are blessed by this podcast, and I hope you come to value children even more than you did before, and you're enlightened a little bit in that perspective. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless. Good uh, talking with you today, Ben. Yeah, you too, Ben. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Theological Family Ministry Podcast. If you have enjoyed this episode, please give us a review on iTunes and share the podcast with your friends on social media. All new episodes are available to listen to on Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube, Spreaker, and iTunes. We hope you have a great week, and join us again every first and third Thursday.